Power Podcast this week we have bells all over the shop no not just because Christmas is just around the corner but because we have Tobin Bell Jigsaw himself here to talk about Jigsaw and Jamie Bell as well to talk about his new thriller Six Days Six Days where will the bells end? All that and more in the movie podcast I would like to reiterate it is not sponsored by Max's Sandwich Shop of Crouch Hill Finsbury Park London they're not going to give you free sandwiches, Chris. I think they are. You don't even live there anymore. I, I'll make a special trip. I'll make a special trip. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both of whom are suited and booted because they're off to a fancy premiere. Mm, fancy. Ooh, fancy premiere. Uh, first up is our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Uh, followed quickly by our quiet poddle, John Nugent. Hello. Hello. Um, before we get into the fancy premiere, shall I just say congratulations are in order? Oh, thanks very much, Chris. That's really nice. Yeah, I noticed, Helen, that you changed your hair a little bit. I did, it's yes. It's looking good. Great. I like to notice that sort of thing as a bloke, <laughs> uh, but not in a creepy way. Of course not. Especially not this week. Especially not this week of all weeks. Uh, but it, it, well done. But also congratulations are in order, I should say. Yeah. To me for being awesome. That's true. That's Is true. Anyone else here? We should be congratulating. I don't. I, I think we've covered everything, haven't we? Can we think of anything we could we could congratulate John for? Just you know, to make him feel included. John, how will we congratulate John News Gent? John News Gent. Oh, John Nugent. Uh, this week has been confirmed as the new news editor of Empire Magazine. That's right. Uh, he is stepping away from the digital arena. And uh, embracing print, and you know, John, I think that's a that's a decision that has. <laughs> it's the future. It's the future. It's you're, the future. you're showing a lot of foresight here. Print is coming back in a big, big this way. Internet fad won't last. It's over. It's, it's done. over. It's hashtag done. It's yes. It's tomorrow's <laughs> digital fish and chip wrappings. I, who honestly, it's a load of nonsense. But now you are you're joining the magazine. I am. Yes, and, uh, I'm very excited. So and obviously, you know, shitting yourself. Absolutely shitting my little pants. <laughs> Um, so why was that a condition of the interview? Was yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, it was a rigorous uh, application process. My but, word, golly! Yeah. <laughs> well, mm, I've had those in the past. Uh, so yeah, congratulations! Thank you, you are, you are you. about to become my my desk buddy. That's right. We're going to be new neighbours. Yeah. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Oh uh, God, I'm so sorry, John. I feel okay. I'm so sorry. I mean, the last man to hold this office, um, you know, had a left. Lot of he left. Died. He left after a faked his death. <laughs> employment tribunal over Danny Boyle impressions. <laughs> so, you know that bodes that bodes well for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not going to do Danny Boyle. For and you. look, the stories that uh, that Phil left and and checked himself, you know, into a hospital where he could get the care he needed. Those are those are just rumours. All right. Just rumours. He 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 did not leave a shell of a broken man. It, it, he's fine. Yeah, he kind of did. Well, yes, he kind of did. Shh. He yelled, I, I need a timeout or something like that. Yeah. It was yeah. something like and that. Then, yeah. And he just never come back. Uh, I just assumed that, I assumed he was going to come back at one point, but you know, after four months, we decided to offer his job, <laughs> offer his job around. And, uh, and John, John managed it. Yeah. Well, my, my, I think my first Empire job interview, like two years ago when yeah. I applied for the online job, that was terrifying because you had James Dyer playing bad cop. And Phil DeSemlin playing good cop. Oh, Phil, Phil's and incapable of doing anything else. He's yeah, Phil, Phil is guys. the ultimate good. Phil's cop, a yeah. Phil's a born good cop, and yeah. James, in fairness to him, is a born bad cop. Yeah, 
so that was really, really terrifying. And like you, you know, I was like, you know, sick with worry. This is my perfect job. I wanted it so badly. Uh, and I almost, you know, had a panic attack right there and then. But it was it was OK. <laughs> uh, so, the, you know, second time around, I've, 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 I had an interview with Terry. I've already met Terry. I already work at Empire. You know, I still had to go through the same application process. But uh, Yes, absolutely. We, but should, it, we should point out that you, you actually, it was a rigorous it application was, it, process. It was genuinely, you know, I yeah. sent in my CV and everything, um, even though they, they know who I am. But, um, uh, but yeah. No, congratulations. I'm very uh, excited. Yeah, no, we're, we're very excited indeed. I'm not going to do Danny Boyle. Uh, I will have to come up with a new impression to torment you with. Well, I, I look forward to you that, do look question forward to that. Yes, Yes, you do look forward to that. <laughs> Exclamation mark. <laughs> Emphasis underlined italic bold. Um, should we have a question? Yes. We don't have a lot of time this week's podcast, mm. but should we, should we diddly-dally with a question? Last sure. week, sure. Helen reminded me of this, uh, that I said we would pick a question from Facebook. Yeah. And that's exactly what we've done, isn't it, John? Do you have it there? Yes. You do have it there? <laughs> yes. I... fired! Immediately fired. I've got Hang it. On. I've got it. It's Chris Williams. Chris Williams on Facebook. He says, I'm going to be a novelty and ask a question on Facebook rather than Twitter. Want uncompleted trilogy. For example, National Treasure. Do you think deserves a third film? What uncompleted trilogy do you think deserves a third film? And of course, he, def- he includes pretty much the definitive answer. In the question, it is, of course, the National Treasure series. <laughs> um, well, I mean, if Johnny Pyle were here, he would 100% agree with that, of course. Yeah, he'd be like, yeah, I love it. Oh, it's brilliant. Is that your Johnny impression? <laughs> yeah, Good yes. Lord. Um, yeah, actually, I'm a, this might be the one that I torment you with. <laughs> it's certainly yeah. tormenting. Yeah. Um, it's just dead, dead How blood. about, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there, it's never going to happen now for obvious reasons. Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. Ah, no! It's definitely not going to happen. Are you okay, Chris? Uh, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm happy to give the new one a chance because good people are involved. I'm, I'm of course, of the same opinion, but I would just like to have seen what Guillermo went on to do with, you know, let, let's imagine. Let's imagine we live in a world of peace and justice and President Clinton and that... <laughs> Hellboy 2 was a massive worldwide success and Hellboy 3 was the kind of demented craziness that only Guillermo yeah. can come up with. That's a cracking one. I'm not sure I can top that, to be honest. So well, well done. Take, the, take the day off, <laughs> Helen. I, no, that, that's, I, I'm, I'm excited about the new one and I'm excited to see the direction that Guillermo was going in as a filmmaker as well because yeah. he's, he's certainly exploring different parts of his psyche. The Shape of Water is terrific. It's out in February in this country. But hey, we got Thor Ragnarok like two weeks ahead of everyone else, so it's a tie. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about that because Neil Marshall's a good director and some D- of the same David people involved. David Harbour's great. David know. Harbour's great, but yeah, deep down aside, Guillermo and, and Ron Perlman getting one last swing. Swing at it would have been great. Um, I have another one. Mm-hmm. I do have one that's popped into my head. At the end of Airplane 2... <laughs> which I feel is actually a pretty decent sequel and one of the better examples of that spoof genre. Uh, it says there's a, a title card pops up on screen saying coming soon, Airplane 3. And we have never seen it. They oh. never made it because Airplane 2 died in its arse and wasn't well received critically. Uh, but it has some amazing jokes, uh, even though it wasn't made by Sucker, Abraham Sucker. Uh, they weren't involved. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen an airplane three. And you know, hey, Robert Hayes still going. Julie Haggerty's still going. William Shatner. The the Shat is still around. Mm. Why not? You know. 
Well, we're missing Leslie Nielsen now. So. We are missing Leslie, yeah. but he wasn't in Airplane 2 in fairness. So, no, that's true. You know, I'm sure they could find someone else, another another 70 or 80 something character actor. Bring back Gene Hackman just to take Ooh. the piss out of himself in Airplane 3. And that's it. I want Gene Hackman's last film not to be Welcome to Mooseport, but Airplane 3. Strong words. Uh... Strong words indeed. <laughs> I'd quite like to see a third film in the Raid uh, franchise. Yes. Ooh. That was sort of left on an open end. I think we'll get it. I think we'll get it one day. You think? I think we will. I mean, Gareth Evans has got his hands full at the moment with Deathstroke, possibly, and uh, what was the horror film he's he's been working on? Well, um, Apostle's coming out uh, next year on Netflix. He's got okay. uh, something called Blister, which is a horror film, I think. There's another action movie as well. He has talked about The Raid 3. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see it one day. Uh, the yeah, you're right. The raid two ends in a very open-ended way. If we don't get it, I think we're t- I'm totally happy with those two movies. Yeah. But oh, I would, yeah. I'd be very happy to see uh, Eco Wise back as as Rama at some point. An older Rama, more reflective Rama, but someone still able to kick the living shit out of someone. <laughs> uh, but for the time being, I think otherwise, the raid three may become the spaced series three of cinema. <laughs> And there's another answer for me. And mm. this is the one I think we're absolutely unequivocally never going to get. Never going to happen. Which is a third series of Spaced. No, and not even a Christmas special, Chris. Not even a Christmas special. And uh, and it's a, it's a real shame. And actually, I, I thought of another one. This is not, not, not film again. Peter Kay's Car Share. Uh-huh. Either of you watch it? No. Never seen it's it. It's absolutely amazing. And the second series ended on a gut punch of a cliffhanger and Peter Kay has said there will never be another episode and I don't want to ruin it for anybody but that last episode left me I'm a drinking game wife in absolute bits and for him not to finish the story Peter Kay you're kicking us in the swingers mate but it's brilliant genuinely even if you have some sort of aversion to Peter Kay who is brilliant if you don't you know if you haven't seen Phoenix Nights check out Phoenix Nights it's another one that needs a third series check out Car Share it is brilliant Sure. I'd like to see a, a, a third film in the Alien franchise, in the Terminator <laughs> franchise, because I frankly yeah. disregard all of the sequels beyond the second film. Yeah, yeah. Maybe give them a, a, a third film to be proud of. Yeah, I think I think that would be a, a, good, a good way to go. That would be yeah. nice, wouldn't it? That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, how about French, in, French Connection? Ooh, yeah. We never saw a third French Connection film. That'd be great. French Connection 2... No. Would would you want him to film that before or after? All right. <laughs> um, Airplane three and French Connection three, double okay. bill. I have Gene you know, Hackman. Yeah, no, he he'd have to film them back to back, obviously. Uh, so I would definitely go Airplane three for the funnies, and then he'd have to finish with his final Popeye Doyle. And by, and by the way, this is not we're not killing Gene Hackman off. He's He's doing these two movies and going back into contented retirement in, I believe, New Mexico, where he's living oh. with his wife. And that's that's what we want from him, all right? So French Connection 3, yes. So when I uh, did that thing last year where Chris McQuarrie and I interviewed mm. Billy Friedkin in New York for like four hours, and you can read, if you go back and uh, it's last August's issue, last October's issue of Empire, uh, check it out. It's a, it's a really cracking uh, read. Uh, Chris McQuarrie actually started off by telling Billy Friedkin that he had once pitched French Connection 3 to Billy Friedkin years ago when he was like just I think he was either hot of public access or hot 
of Usual Suspects. I think it was maybe pre-Oscar, so maybe hot off public access. And he'd managed to get an audience with Billy Freakin and he pitched his French Connection 3, which would have taken place in Cuba, and would have seen Popeye Doyle team up with Andy Garcia as a Cuban-American detective, who, and they had to go to Cuba to, to pursue oh, yeah. this this drug, uh, drug ring. And it would have been all about Andy Garcia's character kind of getting in touch with his more with his Cuban roots, and it would have been a whole big thing, and blah 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 blah. But uh, which sounded really really cool. Uh, but Billy Freakin had no memory of that at all. So. <laughs> Dismissed it out of hand, clearly. <laughs> so and that's what I'd like to see as well. You know what I'd like to see? Just very very quickly before we move on, I'd like to see the Amazing Spider-Man Three. I think I think that <laughs> that franchise really needs it really needs a capper, don't you? Don't you think? Don't you think? It's hard to improve upon Don't perfection, you but they did it once already, and I'm sure they could do it again. Good Lord. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, we're also on email as podcast at empireonline.com. Or, as Chris Williams found out this week, much to his chagrin, we can also pick Facebook questions when the mood takes us. So there you go, Facebook, we're Empire Magazine on that. Okay, time now for our first guest this week. Uh, he has played the evil Jigsaw, a.k.a. John Kramer. Actually, is he that evil? That's kind of the point of the film. Mm, anyway, uh, for ooh, lots of years now, and this is his eighth outing as John Kramer uh, in Jigsaw, which returned the Saw franchise to the big screen. It opened last week here in the UK and the US. Uh, he is, of course, the actor Tobin Bell. And I had a very interesting chat with him when he came into London recently about all manner of things, including, and this may shock you, Britishness. For Mr. Tobin Bell, as it turns out, is a British passport holder. Oh. Yeah, there you go. It just means you can get through customs a lot easier. And you kind of sure. It, yeah. Uh, oh, and of course, Jigsaw and his car and all sorts of other things as well. Here's the interview. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Jigsaw himself, Tobin Bell. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you, Chris. Thank good, you good, for good. coming. You enjoying London so far? I am. Yeah? I, uh, I am enjoying it. Uh, I had a nice tour of Regent's Park yesterday, and uh, it's uh, quite a beautiful park with lots of interesting artwork. Yes. You just showed me something on your phone that was uh, I know, very, very I know. Saw-esque. Very I think we saw-esque, had... Saw-esque, a skeleton yeah. draped across a chair <laughs> with, a, with a little fountain trickling water over the skeleton to sort of cleanse the skeleton. I thought, that was, that was, I, I, was, I thought this is just remarkable that yeah. this is the first piece of art that I see in, <laughs> see in London. It's a, it's a harbinger, hopefully not, of things to come. No, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But we like our art to have... Uh, we like of course, our, our that is what's art. to come for all of us, this skeleton. Uh, well, you're going to start off with the big, the big themes. Philosophical and, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, discussion. Yeah. yeah. So what's the point of anything? Yeah. What is <laughs> the point? Let's just can this right now and <laughs> go have lunch. Should we just go and enjoy a nice lunch by the skeleton art in yeah, the park? Yeah, that, would yes, be, that would be okay. Um, your mother was, was British, so mm-hmm. do, you, do you have an affinity for, for Britain? Do you, do I you do come here often? Um, my mother is British. Okay. She's uh, 99. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, Living in Weymouth, Massachusetts. So very close to getting the telegram from the Queen. She's close, yes. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's um, amazing. Uh, and I am uh, a British citizen uh, as of last year. So Wow, really? Yes, I am indeed. You so have- I, yes, I do have a, a sentimental connection to and uh, admiration for the British people. That's astonishing. So you have the, the, the red passports. 
I do. That I have means the nice just... UK red passport, and I uh, shortly after I received it came Brexit, and <laughs> and, uh, and and uh, I don't know what effect that has on me, but uh, doesn't matter. I'm still pleased to have yeah. have a, a picture of the Queen yeah. uh, on the back of my my papers. Oh, that's amazing. We're we're very pleased to have you, sir. Thank very you. Pleased indeed. I'm 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 very honored to be a consider myself a Brit. Oh, fantastic. Uh, does that extend to other parts of your life? Do you have a British sense of humor, for example? Is that something that that has filtered its way into your into your life? I, I think it probably has because yeah. of my genetics. Uh, yes, uh, I have friends who are British and uh, they make me laugh all the time. So uh, I think I do. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously you're here to talk about uh, Jigsaw. Is that is that tricky in a, in a sense? Because I imagine there's not a lot you can say about this movie. It's been very much under wraps so far. So what can you say? I can, I can, I can talk about Peter and Michael Spirig, who are a couple of young brothers who made a movie called Predestination that mm. is a very complex and interesting uh, approach to filmmaking. Um, and when I saw that film and I knew they were going to direct this, I was encouraged that they would... Um, there's lots of twists and turns in Saw films and mm. uh, lots of surprises. And uh, I thought that Peter and Michael would handle that uh, very well, and they did. And they brought a cinematographer with them called Ben Knott, who is a wizard and uh, made the sets and the special effects look marvelous. Mm. Uh, so... Um, Jigsaw is a film in the best tradition of Saw films, but with a fresh look and feel to it because of these two young directors from Australia. Mm. Uh, so I think it'll be uh, a pleasure for our old fans as well as millennials, uh, the people that, <laughs> that, 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 that were too young yes. uh, 10 years ago or seven years ago, whatever it was, to, yes. uh, to see the first series of films uh i hope we get some new fans out of that and uh um i've seen the film and it's uh, pretty terrifying so okay I can, interesting. I can tell you that interesting uh, and and how would you categorize would you categorize it as a, a sequel as a reboot what, which category does it fall into it's a continuation of the story. Okay, so um, very much is. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about that terminology, uh, reboots yeah. and uh, prequels, and uh, uh, because um, that's somebody else's turf, you know. And, uh, <laughs> uh, we actors think only about the film that we're in and, yeah. and creating, um, uh, for me, good characters, and, and mostly relationship is very important to me and uh -huh. um, now um admittedly saw is not a romantic comedy so it is not uh, yes uh, but uh you know i have had uh, some relationships throughout the seven films uh, namely with uh, um uh, uh, amanda mm -hmm. who uh is played by shawnee smith mm -hmm. and and with Betsy uh, Russell, who played uh, Jill, my wife, in it, uh, where you're able to counterpoint uh, the chaos yes. uh, with some personal moments. Uh, yes. And, in fact, uh, 
remind the viewer that John is a human being. Precisely. And, uh, and he does have his relationships, and in fact, his mother loved him, just like everyone else. And it feels like this movie... I'm guessing, functions very much on that level. The Spirit Brothers, I thought Predestination was a fantastic film. Mm. Um, and they seem really intriguing as filmmakers as well. Mm. So I suspect this will return to that. I, yeah. I think it's probably fair to say that some of the later Saw sequels perhaps emphasised the viscera above the more mm. philosophical elements. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether you would agree with that. Or Yeah, well, I, I do. But, I, you know, I just um, in the last few days, I've been realising that the environment that we're living in in the world today has changed since seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think people are going to bring something, audiences are going to bring something to this film that I think that the current environment that we're living in, I think is bubbling underneath the surface inside all of us mm-hmm. right now. Yes. So I think in some way, the Saw films, the, 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 the dealing with greed and power and and um, inequity between people and and uh, what is just and what is not I, I think a lot of people have uh, especially young people have begun thinking about these things yeah. in a way because there's a lot at stake yeah, right now there is. and uh, there certainly is a lot at stake in saw films mm-hmm. and I, not that I particularly can equate a Saw film with the current environment, but I just know that it's a mix uh, what comes off the screen to viewers mm-hmm. and what, this, what, the, what the audience gives back yeah. to the material mm-hmm. because of their experience. And uh, I just think that we're in a place right now where, um, where Saw speaks with a different voice than it did seven years ago. Yes. And uh, I'm not quite sure what that is, <laughs> but but I'm feeling some sort of a bula bass going on here, you know? <laughs> you, uh, you talked earlier on about uh, choices as an actor. When you're faced with something as simple as a, a single line of dialogue that, that feels rather than, you know, I, I'm, I'm exhausted, and you apply different choices to that and what Kramer might be going through at that, at that time. Um, there's a moment in Saw Three which fascinates me, which is the the the, the death of of John, uh, the moment when he is is given this act of mercy, I guess. And you, there's a moment where you almost smile as you die. I always was intrigued by that that decision as an actor. Can you can you talk about your your thinking behind that, the layers of meaning behind that smile? Was that something that the, that you you thought about a great deal? I, uh, not since I lay on that gurney in that room uh-huh. have I thought about that particular uh, smile. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Angus McFadden, by the way, yes. uh, a Brit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 but as you mentioned it, yeah. I thought, what was I thinking well, when, we- that was go- <laughs> when that was going on? And I know exactly... Um, what was going through my mind uh, and um, what the significance of that was. And um, John says something um, 
in one of the films, and because the timeline is so convoluted, I'm not mm. sure whether it's in three or four, about if you can anticipate, um, uh, Hoffman says to him something like, ah, Bianca, you don't want to do that. There's too much risk. There's a lot of risk involved. And he says, if you can, John says, if you can anticipate the human mind, there's no risk involved. <laughs> and uh, he spends a lot of time sizing people up yeah. and when he and and in making judgments about people he will he will decide what will that person choose when given this choice or that choice or a third choice mm-hmm. and he generally i would think maybe 98% of the time he's right mm-hmm. so he spends a lot of time anticipating human reactions to things and so that smile mm-hmm. at that moment had to do with this is playing out mm-hmm. just the way <laughs> I thought it would and that's as much as I'm going to say okay. about that okay. I think that's all that needs to be said <laughs> at this moment in time Chris yeah. let's talk about it again sometime sometime indeed absolutely <laughs> Has this played out exactly the way you thought it would? <laughs> Can you study yes. human? Yeah, has this interview played out the, th- the way you thought it would? Um, Are you studying my human behavior now? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. The room is a little nicer than I thought it would be. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that we'd be in front of this 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 headboard. No, this I is true. Was, was extremely intimate. Yes. No, it's, it's lovely. You know, it feels yeah. like we're we're laying in bed together. It's it's, yes. a, it's a beautiful touch. Yes, a beautiful touch. Yeah. Uh, Tobin, I will have to let you go, but uh, I just want to ask uh, one very last thing about the the legacy of this role for you, because I imagine when you took the part uh, all those years ago, now you didn't expect seven sequels, and you didn't expect to be doing this uh, constantly. Um, did you think it was going to be a one and done situation? Yes, unquestionably. Mm. Uh, not no gave it no consideration. At all beyond that, uh, uh, did one um, because it was very waiting for Godot to me. <laughs> three guys locked in a room. Yes, it's like who makes a who makes a film about three guys locked in a room? <laughs> and 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 then I wanted to work with Danny Glover, who I had never worked with. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and then the end. Yeah. Was, I did not anticipate when I read the script and I thought if they do the end well, uh-huh. it could be one of those cinematic moments that if you do one of those in a career, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's great. Yeah. And they did shoot it well. And it is one of those moments. That's great. And fans talk about it all the time. And that's a great thing. So... No, I wasn't anticipating anything beyond that. I was in the Czech Republic uh, in Prague uh, doing a series for NBC mm-hmm. when they came to me and said, we're going to do a Saw 2. Uh, but I wasn't paying any attention to how one was doing at the box office or wow. or anything like that. And uh, so, But once they did two... Yes, I thought. Oh well, maybe maybe there's a three. You know, maybe we'll be here in 2017 talking yes. about the, no, the eighth I, film. I, no, I, I, you know, I was very grateful for two and 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 for three because I thought, wow, in two, I'm up off the floor. I, I, I can, I, I can. Who knows what I could do? Yeah, you know, we could actually explain what this guy is about precisely, and we're still explaining. We, uh, yes, yes. I'd like to. I'd like to be a little even clearer okay. about about his 
mindset. But um, come back for the next one. We can finish the thought about uh, about Saw three as well. And uh, oh yes, just yeah. one last thing about about Saw. And you're right that that amazing twist um, where you get up off the floor and reveal yourself, so to speak. Uh, have you seen it with audiences who didn't know? Have you experienced that moment with an audience? Uh, saw three or Jigsaw? Saw one, as, as oh, Jigsaw saw one. gets off the floor in the, at the um, end of the first movie. No, you I have not. Okay. I have not seen the film with an, uh, Saw one with an audience. Okay. I, as I said, I was in the Czech Republic That's what I'm saying. Yeah, at yeah. that when it opened. Yeah. So I didn't, uh, I'm not even sure if, if it was showing in in the Czech Republic. I probably has since then. Uh-huh. And it's become a worldwide phenomenon now, the whole Saw thing. But uh, I don't think it had been in Prague uh, then. And so I never saw it with an audience. But it's talked about all the time as being the quintessential amazing moment of, of Saw. And I read about it online all the time. People talk to me about it all the time. And so... Um, you know, my first instinct was that it was pretty, I didn't expect it mm. when I read it. And I usually can see stuff like that coming. So I thought, hmm, <laughs> we might, maybe we have something here. Plus, the fourth reason why I did the film was because I had a car payment. And, uh, <laughs> Made all those days of lying on the floor worth it. Or was that not you, Tobin? Did you not lie on the floor? Was it someone else? Oh, no, I did. You did lie on the floor? Yeah. Okay. Whenever you saw me. Uh-huh. Whenever you saw any piece of of me or it or yes. whatever it was, uh, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking, must we pay the car payment? Must make the car payment? Make it, <laughs> right, this is yes. worth it. This is yes. worth it. Yeah, no matter how cold I get, <laughs> no matter how red and bloody and disgusting I get, no matter if nobody wants to have lunch with me uh, when, when we when when we break because I look so hideous with this prosthetic yeah. on my head. Yes. Uh, I have a car payment. And I imagine that car is no more. Have you upgraded the car since? Yes, I've upgraded the car. Yeah, I have upgraded the car, but only once. Oh, really? I'm okay. Still, I'm, still, I'm still driving my 2007 8 Volvo. Wow. Yeah. How many yeah. miles? Uh, it's just at 99,360 miles, something like that. About to, about to hit 100 grand. That's not bad. No, it's, and it's running like a top. <laughs> Volvo, if you hear me, send me a new car for free. <laughs> and me as well. Why not? Jess, yes, do you want one? Send one to Chris. Yeah. And Jess, yeah. you yeah. want a new? Well, all three of us would take one. New Volvos and, for all. And, and be happy to. Fantastic. Tobin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you okay, so much. Thank you, Tobin, Chris. Bell. Thank you. Thank you, Empire. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, so that was Tobin Bell, and time now to discuss this week's movie news. And this is something uh, I think it's going to be... We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago when the, the Harvey Weinstein allegations and rumours and accusations broke that uh, we would we, we felt that this would be the, the beginning of a landslide in Hollywood. And that certainly has come to light with uh, other Hollywood luminaries uh, being accused of a great many things from sexual harassment to sexual assault uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, this week... For example, Brett Ratner has been accused of a great many things. Uh, James Toback, most uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, the director of Two Girls and a Guy. And this week as well, uh, Kevin Spacey, the double Oscar winner, was accused of 
Sexual Impropriety, shall we say, by Anthony Rapp, the star of Star Trek Discovery, uh, who uh, recalled an incident that took place when Rapp was 14 and Spacey was 26. Uh, That has had a bit of a ripple effect in Hollywood already. Helen. Yeah, um, I think uh, Kevin Spacey, in response to this, uh, issued a statement which has been widely criticised, where he combined Mm -hmm. uh, apologies with uh, coming out uh, as gay, which uh, I think a a lot of people's response was, he isn't officially out? Oh. But uh, he wasn't, and Mm -hmm. he now is. And... uh, yeah, I think his response has has not helped the situation, quite frankly, and the response has generally been very negative uh, to him. Yes, it's yet another it's yet another case of someone inspired by the example of those who have come before him mm-hmm. finally speaking out about something that has clearly been troubling him for nearly thirty years. Uh, and I think it's I hope that Anthony Rapp gets some some peace and some catharsis from this um, because it's it's clearly been on his mind for a very very long time, and he has talked about it in the past just mm-hmm. without naming names, yes. um, and it has been ignored in the past because. All, a lot of these things have been reported previously, yep. but they just have been ignored. So I think it's it's interesting that, that suddenly attention is being paid and, and long may that continue. Um, so yes, that, that has had some ripple effects. Uh, we are told that they had already planned to cancel House of Cards after the forthcoming sixth season. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the timing of the announcement made people wonder if that were in fact the case or if it was a response to this to this uh, affair. It came this the, it, it, yeah, because it came out the same day. Yes, um, it did. And there have also been reports since that the shooting on season six, which has been going ongoing for a while, has been suspended for a short while at least uh, to allow everybody involved with the show to come to terms uh, with how they feel. Uh, and then the Brett Ratner thing, I mean, again, someone around whom... Rumours have swirled in the past and uh, and those rumours have now been made much more public and much more specific by people yeah. with big names who maybe won't be ignored um, in the mm. same way that those who came before them have been. Um, so, you know, I do hope this is the start of a sea change in the culture. Um, it's not a witch hunt uh, in the sense that witches don't exist. But I think it is a clearing of a house or something and it's not just Hollywood. We're already seeing it here in the UK in Parliament. Um, where yeah, they're yeah. doing their best to fudge the issue with, by including all sorts of tittle-tattle about f- consensual affairs. Mm. Um, that's not the same thing, to be clear. Um, but it is, I hope, the beginning of, a, of an examination of our own culture and a, a, the beginning of a move towards, you know, more mutual respect, to be honest. So, um, so fingers crossed that this doesn't blow over, that this does keep moving on and that people, you know, learn to respect each other. 2019's The Lion King. Oh, Let's talk word. about good people. Mm. Uh, what's Simba done now? Simba uh, Simba hasn't done it very much yet. Uh, but what Simba has done is, of course, recruit Donald Glover as his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the sort of the full principal cast has now been announced. There have been dribs and drabs of announcements before, so we did know about Donald Glover. We did know that James Earl Jones would come back because there there is and there can only be one Mufasa. <laughs> um, what we didn't know... Uh, is that Beyonce, actual Beyonce, will be voicing Nala? We did know that, did we? Yeah, I didn't. That's been that's been out for weeks. This is the thing. Like last night, whenever the um, months, even like when last night when that uh, that big casting announcement hit the internet, and people were going, "Oh my God, Beyonce, Knowles Carter is in this." 
and they were going how and it's like guys this has been rumoured for months maybe uh, it was rumored, confirmed last confirmed. night but you know it was like pretty much she's in it so did we know the, about Chiwetel Ejiofor as we well we knew about Chiwetel Ejiofor okay. I think we discussed that on the show actually the biggest takeaway for me from last night was yeah. um, Beyonce Knowles Carter Knowles Carter she's using her full name she's not, she's done not, that not for just a long Beyonce time. has she? Yeah. But her, like, her albums are just Beyonce right? well she literally did an album I'm pretty sure called Mrs Carter but not Mrs. Knowles Carter. No, because that's not very feminist. Or the, the Mrs. Carter isn't very feminist, and she's become more feminist since. And I think she's gone by Knowles Carter she for a little while now. She is a woke bay. She is the woke bay. Yeah. She the, woke everybody else. Yeah. She puts the bay in Beyonce. Um, I feel like you need some workshop I on feel, that. I feel. I feel. So who was new last night? Who didn't we know about before? I wasn't aware of Keegan Michael Key. Yeah, no, that's exciting. He's one of the um, hyenas he with is. Florence Kasumba, who was so awesome in Civil War. Yes, and she's going to be, be a Black Panther. Black yeah. Panther, yeah. I uh, didn't know about um, Alfred Woodard as uh, Sarabi. I didn't know about that either. That's yeah. great casting. I'm really not good. entirely sure I knew about Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner as Timon and Pumba. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other way around, but yes. Oh, is it? I think oh, it's sorry, Seth Rogen as Pumba. Oh, Seth Eichner and Billy Rogen. That's oh, you mean the other, other, other oh, the character, right? Um... Which one's which? Uh, Seth Rogen is Pumba. Right. Billy Eichner is Timon. I've seen the West End show like twice and I still can't get those <laughs> characters. Which one sings Hakuna Matata? They both do. They oh, both do. Uh, Pumba is the warthog, I, I, as I remember, and Timon is the... Uh, all right. Meerkat? The one, Here's yeah. another way for me to get it right. Okay. Sure. Which one's Nathan Lane? Nathan Lane is Timon. Right. Okay, so Billy Eichner is Timon. Yeah. All right, okay. And Seth Rogen is Pumba. Yeah. All right, okay. Then we're, we're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, so Donald Glover, James Earl Jones as James Earl Jones, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, Beyonce Knowles Carter, uh, Alfred Woodard. It's a hell of a cast. Um, and John Favreau returning as Happy Hogan once again. <laughs> Very excited about that. No, Chris, and no, no. I, well, directing. Directing. You say that. No, I, I, I do be, say that. Literally. I would be surprised if Happy turns up just a little bit, you know. No, no, no. no. Forehead of security and all that. <laughs> uh, so very, very exciting. Uh, yes, they are saying Beyonce joins the Lion King and full cast announcement here, but, you know, come on, guys. Come on. Come on, guys. Uh, but, yeah, very, very excited indeed about that. And what do we think about this ongoing feud oh. between The Rock oh. and Tyrese Gibson? <laughs> oh. I know who my money's on. Oh, that's my heart. So this feud that the, the two of them have had has now really exploded. So Tyrese Gibson, last night on Instagram, took to Instagram. And, I mean, and Instagram and is the ultimate throwdown location. Like, if you're going to if you're gonna call somebody out, yeah. you go to that's a social the, media that's mostly known for the avocado toast. Go. <laughs> link in bio. <laughs> I'm so angry about this. Click on the link. Oh, no, it doesn't work on Instagram. Oh, no, oh, no, no one's seen it because of the algorithm. Oh, guys... But it is better because, you know, obviously 140 characters, 280 characters is mm-hmm. not enough yeah. to accommodate the sheer anger that Tyrese Gibson feels <laughs> about The Rock. In, in As far as I can see, he feels that The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, has taken over the Fast and Furious franchise and certainly has, has directed the spotlight away from his character, Roman Pierce. And, uh, and A name that you did not have to look up. Genuinely, I did not have to look that name up. <laughs> And that he has issued an ultimatum. That (laughs) this is probably the most ineffective ultimatum in the history of ultimatums. Uh, He has said, basically, essentially, either The Rock is in Fast and Furious Nine, 
or I am. Choose me <laughs> or The Rock. Me, guys, come back. Guys, then let me you know, t- so, reconsider. So there is oh, some... it's adorable, isn't it? <laughs> it's so sweet. There is background to this feud, feud, right? Because The Rock had talked during Fast 8 about somebody being, and I believe I'm quoting, a candy ass. Yep. Mm. And then there was, of course, the trash-talking video about Tyrese's most recent album or single, mm. where The Rock, one of the nicer men in Hollywood really did not hold back on his feelings about the I, album's shortcomings. I believe the words he describes use it was like dog shit in my ears. Um, Which doesn't sound fun. No. No. So <laughs> so I guess this is a response to, you know, to those um, events. I, I mean, he, just he's, he's playing his hand and expecting uh, Universal to just blink. Uh, and instead they're going to, wait, how does that, how does this poke analogy work? He's 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 got a, he's got a he's got a two pair of twos. He's got a pair of twos. That's it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then he's and then the rock is holding the like rock, a royal flush, probably. Ro- ro- yeah, royal flush. Also a bazooka. And a bazooka. <laughs> and a bazooka. But I mean, come on, it's the rock. He's literally the highest paid film is star he, in the world. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Tyrese is is fun in our franchise. You yes, know, he, I like him a lot. He's okay. You know, Roman Pierce is. Uh, Fine, he's a bit of the comic relief, but he's not as I think he thinks he is the heart of the franchise. Mm. The reason that the Fast and Furious franchise is as big as it is now, I believe, and Helen, I think you agree with me, because it got, it got rockified. He came <laughs> in in Fast Five and just gave it an injection of ridiculous oomph that uh that 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 really you know caught on with people. And there is a question here about how many muscly bald men one franchise really needs. Like is there a maximum number because I feel like we were pushing that in Fast 8 when you get uh the, the Statham does a mm-hmm. you know heel switch and becomes suddenly the good guy. It it, it I, there's a lot of muscly bald men. You think we need to replace him with someone with hair? That's what you're saying. Look, I don't want to be boldest. I'm, you know, I have many bold friends. I think they're great, obviously, but I, I just feel like there might be a maximum number, and at Maybe. some point, we're going to have trouble telling them apart from the back. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just going to look yeah. from the back. It's just looking a like a, a set of fingers. <laughs> These are someone's right. hand up. Exciting times. Exciting times. I mean, Tyrese is basically a pair of scissors, and Rock always beats scissors. Yep. Yep. So. Hey, hey, hey. There we go. Here we go. Uh, unless, of course, you're made of scissors. Yeah, it's it's. This is not a fair fight. This is not a fair fight. I feel I feel a bit sad that it's being played out so publicly. Yeah. You know, just just make Fast and Furious Nine and just don't be in any scenes together. I mean, what? there's precedent for that in that franchise. So you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and in many others, like I think I think there's got to be a way to work this out. There's got to be some kind of peace deal that could be reached. Um, and and I hope that Vin Diesel or similar can can act as mediator and bring the two warring parties together. Indeed. Hey, we should also mention that it is New Empire Day, uh, New Empire Week. Uh, none of us have the actual issue in front of us because we're absolute idiots. Uh, do we? Do none of us <laughs> no, have I'm sorry, it? I didn't no. bring it. But I have read it, and it's good. Okay, remind me. I've, got, I've got the uh, issue preview oh, thank article God. on the See, website. this is why this guy's the new news editor, because hey. he's on top of things. Hang on, here we go. On the cover, big shock, not a comic book movie, 
Not a Star War. What? Not a huge blockbuster. What? Not even a movie that's out this year, technically speaking. It is Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, 25 years old this year. And to celebrate, we spoke to tons of people involved with the movie and we have done a massive multi-page celebration jamboree that is a must-read, presumably, preferably, while listening to the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack. Mm, 16 pages 16 pages 16 pages including some uh, never before seen or, or at least rarely seen uh, photographs from the from the unit's photographer of on who was on the set yep and we were it's, allowed to just delve into her archives it's I beg your pardon it's uh, tippermost of the toppermost um, what else is in the issue what else is what, tell me tell me because uh, I've forgotten a great a great article on Steve Bannon, the uh, the Donald Trump strategist who had a, a, a bizarre career in Hollywood before he went into politics, yep. which is fascinating. Yep. Uh, we it's not lo- pro-Bannon as well, by the way. I just yeah, yeah. That. yeah. I mean, he, he looks like a corpse, that guy, so we, we do not support his politics. Uh, Twin Peaks, we look back at Twin Peaks. We talked to Carl McLaughlin, uh, some of the weirder elements of season three. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, We speak to George Clooney. George Clooney. Yes. George Clooney on Suburbicon and how Huge. he resurrected a Coen Brothers script. Huge. That's exciting. Phil, our dearly departed Phil went to uh, America to hang out with Dale Dye. Dale Dye, who is the guy who put loads of people through their paces at boot camp or all sorts of movies from Platoon onwards. Yeah, and Phil went to one of those boot camps, I believe. He did indeed, and some amazing, some amazing photography in that as mm, well. It's mm. gorgeous. There's, there's uh, anything else? With- Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell, big yeah. in, uh, who? who's the Empire interview? Yeah, yeah, he's the big interview. And we've uh, got Will Smith in Bright as well. Will Smith in Bright. Oh my God, David Ayers. What yeah. a lineup! And then in the section I edit, you have uh, the viewing guide is Edgar Wright on Baby Driver, taking us through lots of secrets of that. Uh, you have uh, Clive Barker and Doug Bradley talking about Hellraiser and his thirtieth anniversary, written by Mark Salisbury, who would like me to point out that I inserted a factual error into his intro <laughs> to that piece uh, and uh, because it was press day and I was tired and it was very, very late and I needed to add a line. And uh, so I did, and I added a factual error. So it was my mistake saying that Pinhead only shows up halfway through the film, uh, which is, is, of course, wrong, and I love that film, and I shouldn't have made that mistake. My mistake, not Mark Salisbury's mistake. Mark Salisbury is a stand-up guy. Mark Salisbury knows what's what. <laughs> Mark Salisbury gets you true. straight. I'm not. I'm not laughing at all the things you're saying about Mark Salisbury. No, he's, but he's a stand-up fella who doesn't make mistakes. You know who does make mistakes? You do. This bozo. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's that, and there's all sorts of other great things inside the issue as well. There's loads of news and reviews and previews and look back looks back at great films it, and just for the simple price of seventeen pounds eighty five. No cheaper than no, that. No less, cheaper than it. Yep. Fourteen pounds thirty. No, less lower, again. Lower. Four pounds fifty. Four seventy actually. Four seventy. Four pounds seventy. Uh, from all good and evil news agents, that is a bargain at ten times the price. Do pick it up um, because we got to frankly pay for John's wages and uh, his demands don't am, come. He don't come cheap. Very demanding. He is indeed. Uh, so there we go. There's tons more news. I mean, Mindy Kaling is doing a four weddings and a funeral series over at Hulu, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm. A sort of anthology series is the yeah. plan. Yeah, uh, and we love Mindy Kaling. Uh, she is great. She's awesome. And, um, yeah. Uh, oh, and Kathy Kennedy's been talking about the next 10 years of Star Wars. Uh, mm. She said, we're just going to do four more years, then stop. 
big, <laughs> a big shock, but there you go, straight straight from uh, Kathy Kennedy there. Um, right, so time now for our second guest this week, our second bell. Uh, this is a bell, of course, who is finishing the show, so you could say that this is a bell end. Um, oh, no. No. Closing bell, no. Chris, Close would have the, been better. Oh, that's a much better phrase. Yeah. For whom the bell tolls. Yes, for whom the bell end. To- no. no. For whom the bell tolls. Thanks, guys. What would I do without you guys? Honestly, I've been sued a long time. Be sued so uh, much. So, this is our Jamie Bell, who of course danced his way into our hearts all those years ago in the World War One drama Death Watch. Right. No, that was Billy Elliot. Sorry, <laughs> getting those ones wrong again. And since then, has forged a, a cracking career for himself on both sides of the Atlantic as a fine actor. I mean, he's been Tintin and Tintin. He's been in King Kong. He's been in Snowpiercer. He's been uh, in all sorts of things. Turn on TV. Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks' time, he'll be in Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. But now he'll be on Netflix in the SAS Seeds Thriller Six Days. And he was talking to... <laughs> I think he was talking to Phil, wasn't he? Oh. Phil, Phil, wherever you are, you can hear us. We love you. and We're sorry. And we come back. Come back. No. Uh, yeah. You don't want him to come back. You've just congratulated John on taking his job. Oh, that's right. John, just stay away. Take take the headphones off for a second, John, will you? Just just take the headphones off Mm. so you can't hear what I'm saying. Okay. All right, Phil, seriously, come on, man. You're you're in the room. He can still hear you. I can still hear you with with the headphones off. Uh, Here is Jamie Bell talking to Phil DeSemlian. Come back, Phil. We love you. Enjoy. We are thrilled and delighted to be joined by none other than Jamie Bell on the Empire Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We've established that we, I've never done this before. You've never done this before, no. You've done a web chat. I, we've done that. that Cross that off. We don't do web chats anymore. Oh, really? Uh, so, so just this now. So we've got this. We've got other... I mean, we've got other things we can do interview-wise, right. but this is one of our one of our media... I'm going to have to subscribe. To the, you can just download it anytime. Perfect, done. Go to the iTunes store or SoundCloud. Excellent. It's yours. Excellent. You can hear yourself in this interview in the future. Yeah, no, excellent. Um, anyway, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Thank to talk you. about Six Days, yes. which is a film about the storming of the Iranian embassy. Um, in 1980, I don't know if that's even a bit of a spoiler to say that it's. I mean, you think people know what what happens in the story, right? Right. Do they? Do you think? I or? mean, I don't know because I think I, for a lot of people um, who maybe like me kind of remember the images of the abseiling and the the SAS and the black uniforms and the, the white building. And, I'm not entirely sure if they remember kind of how it ended. No. You know, so, like, I don't want to no, give no, anything no. away. All right, let's not go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's set it up, though. See, yeah, which I think we did quite well. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> yeah I might have stepped over the line. But you play Rusty Furman, yes. who is a real man. Yeah. Um, I um, was lucky enough to meet him on set. Uh, right. He's an interesting guy. Um, I, we were sort of reflecting before about the fact that you rarely as an actor get the chance to play someone mm. who's alive and on set yeah, yeah, yeah. and working with you on playing themselves yeah. is there a I mean obviously the upside is there is there, a, is there a downside for you do you have to manage that relationship a little bit yeah I mean I think so you don't want to disappoint them you know there's a there's this sense of uh, I mean I just saw him just now I mean he's, he's here. We're, we're at screening right now just so you know um, and he's here and, and now the film's done I think there's even more of a kind of sense of oh God, I hope it didn't disappoint you um, but in this film especially it's the way we've done this is it's a real time telling of these events seen from the perspective of kind of three key characters um, so it's not really the Rusty Furman show it's 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 how Rusty Furman and his memories and 
his perspective kind of fits into the, the, the big picture here. Um, but yeah, when he's on set and he's watching the monitor, you're just thinking, oh my God, what's he thinking? Yeah. Is he liking this? No, right. I mean, I was going to say, like, often you, you play a real person and you, you wait till the film comes out and then right. you get feedback. Sure. In this case, you've just finished the scene it's and look at him. And he's, just, <laughs> he's just looking at you like an SAS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I can imagine that's a bit nerve-wracking, but yeah. also useful. And uh, he helped you. You prepared for this pretty intensely, um, which I yeah. imagine you have to do playing someone in Special Forces. Yeah, I mean, you know, the kind of the history of actors doing boot camps and all kinds of things and not showering and going to boot camp and staying in barracks and things like that it wasn't kind of that intense but there were there were a few kind of team building exercises that we did um we'd run exercises and kind of mock up um buildings and we'd have to do it in a certain amount of time wearing full gear and um i think more than anything what it taught us was the, the tactics of the sas which is to just overwhelm very aggressively and very quickly and once the machine is moving it doesn't stop until it's done yeah you know and it's it there's a there's a psychology in it um and i think it helped all of us kind of respect that and you know just get into it a bit you um you operate with flashbangs which are sure. designed to disorientate I think rather than kill a name yeah. um, and a lot of f- heavy weaponry and stuff are you, are you now someone that can sort of strip a strip a sort of semi-automatic with blindfolds in four and a half seconds uh, yeah I'm not kind of that good I'm kind of the guy who like presses the wrong thing and the clip falls out <laughs> kind of um, but we were instructed on all kinds of different weapons and while these guys are talking they're kind of not even looking at the things they're doing we have two great um, SAS advisors with us down in New Zealand where we shot the film um, I think yeah, you can tell people what their names were well one's called Bomber and the other one's called Gunner Real names. Real names. Yeah. Really served. Uh, I think Bomber was SAS. I'm not sure if Gunner was SAS, but, you know, the real deal. And, and you were saying that the um, it gave you confidence to know that, you know, this guy was... You were saying that... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of height-challenged. Uh, I'm in the, uh, the five, kind of 5758 department, and I'm supposed to be the, the, a leader of men, you know, from the SAS, and... Uh, I was kind of a little bit nervous about that because for some reason Toa, our director, cast six foot two burly men all around me and I was a little concerned about it. And then when I saw Bomber, um, he is even smaller than me and he is, no joke, the like the real deal. And it just I was like, okay, well, if he can do it, I guess maybe I could do it. Maybe. Yeah. And during that six days, you chew a, what can I need to describe as a shitload of, of gum? A ton of gum. Did you have any problems with lockjaw or... or kind of- uh... I mean, I like. Well, I looked at Alex Ferguson a lot for this because he's like he's probably he does waiting, like he's very impatient. You know, he's constantly checking his watch, he's constantly chewing gum, but he does impatiently waiting, kind of better than anyone else I've ever seen. So Ferguson was kind of a. Did you really? Did you really watch? Yeah, I watched. I was like Alex Ferguson. He's a leader. He's a real leader of men. He's always fucking chewing gum. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. He has an interesting relationship with time as well, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He's uh, suddenly five minutes will appear from nowhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Next goal wins. Um, right. Um, Fantastic Four. The, the that kind of came out around the time you were working on this this movie, Six Days. Mm-hmm. What, what was that? What was that experience like for you? Because it's kind of one of those ones that it felt like there might have been sort of blood in the water and people kind of picked up on it and mm-hmm. turned on it a bit and, and obviously the things that happened subsequent to it Josh Trank talked about a version that wasn't released that was better than the one that came out it didn't famously do that well at the box office it, do you are you kind of it, can you immunise yourself from a lot of that stuff or is it a bit bruising well you know, you know I, 
we all kind of set out to do our best work and we all set out with really good intentions of making something good you yeah. know um, and I think with uh, with all that creative input and all those <clears throat> kind of creative forces Kimberg, Trank Miles Michael Kate me yeah. um, a good studio with good people um you know, there was no reason why that couldn't happen. Josh, I mean, I, I loved Chronicle. I, I, when I saw Chronicle, I was, I was, you know, I was really impressed by that film for what it was and what he made it for and what it ended up making. And it seemed like all the ingredients were there. And I was on the phone with Josh, and he pitched the film to me, and I was like, I'd never heard of a film like that before, and it, mm. it was something that I wanted to be a part of because it felt very different from at that time the movies that kind of had been made. Um, but you know, I mean, it's it's uh, th these things happen. You know, I, I think even around like the announcement of cast or you know that the film was going forward, there's already some kind of ill will towards the film, and the the film just never got away from that. There was this this kind of sense of negativity around yeah. it constantly, and then a bunch of like other issues of script and you know personality clashes, and then too many cooks and all that, you know. And and then that's the result, you know. Yeah. But but the intention is always to make something worthwhile and make something good. But yeah. but it was. I mean, I think for all of us, for everyone, you know, we were all kind of uh, really disappointed by it. We were really disappointed that the final product wasn't quite what we wanted it to be, and um, and that we probably wouldn't get another shot at it. Um, and uh, and I think when it came out, I remember us all texting each other, just you know, feeling really quite deflated about it. But you know, you pick up and you you move on to the next one, and uh, yeah. You know, I, it's unfortunately it's kind of will famously go down as as you know a bit of a disaster. But um, I got something great out of it, you know, and and working with Miles and Michael, you know, it was we we worked really well together. Yeah, yeah. talking about sort of part forks in the road, it, it, you probably wouldn't have done Lars von Trier, for instance, right. potentially. I'm sure. not sure of the, the timings. Maybe you would, I don't know. Right, but right. You, um, you had an interesting first meeting with, with Lars, mm -hmm. I understand, when you flew out to, to Denmark mm -hmm. on that one. Can, mm -hmm. what, are you, what are your memories? Well, there was a couple of times, because I did a Thomas Vindenberg film before that, and he'd written that, and that was the first time I met him. And uh, He was either getting out of a pool or he was getting in a pool, I can't remember, but he was definitely naked, for sure. Just stuck naked drinking schnapps okay which is this thing uh, so that was my first introduction to him and then um, you know and then we kind of worked together again and and this time in the cap capacity of as him as a director um, and uh, yeah I mean no direction really no uh, no rehearsal I mean lots of direction no rehearsal right uh, no kind of you know talking about the scene at all it's just you kind of get there and you begin with very little interpretation or very little uh, you kind of yeah it's amazing but I mean it is amazing because you, you, you there's things that happen that wouldn't ordinarily happen if you, if you overthink something you can lose some okay reality some kind of something that is kind of raw yeah you know um, and he manages to capture all of that so it, it was bizarre though because the first day you get there you know you're hitting Charlotte Gainsbourg in the face and it's very it's very uncomfortable you know, it's disturbing. Because <laughs> yeah. I suppose most directors would want you to spend a bit of time with Shark Games, but just talking about your characters. Yeah. And but I think purposefully he's like, no, the, 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 the idea of these characters is no. that they are anonymous and they're kind of strangers and they don't know each other. You know, I don't want you to become comfortable. I don't want you to, yeah. you know. And also she, I don't, she didn't want to do that. It was a tough film for her, you know, that movie. It really, 
kind of probably exhausting and very challenging so yeah. I think she kind of wanted to stay in her thing and you know whenever I see another actor doing that of course you respect it and that's their process and yeah. you know you back away it, um, it, 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 it caused a stir should we say online with some quite sexy posters Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. What was the kind the, of orgasm posters. The orgasm. Yeah, let's not let's not be too coy. The orgasm right. posters. I mean, some people seem to be really putting their back into it. I'm not sure Shia LaBeouf looks like he's having a pee in his. Looks like he's having a pee. He's just smoking a cigarette and just looking a bit sort of like he's having. I don't know. Right, 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 right. But I, I don't know if you, each to their own. Did, right. Did you, yeah, well, quite. I mean, you know, who's right. to say? But um, what, what was it? But when did you shoot those? I rem- I remember turning up to the photo shoot. Uh, we I like just shot my last day on the movie and then I'd done that before I flew out and they kind of told me the concept and I was like of course <laughs> you know what I, mean? I was like makes sense <laughs> it's the last one um, but uh, it's it was an odd, it was an odd thing to shoot yeah, yeah. It's, it was very exposing they're just like oh yeah just like do a thing you know it's like you know we just really want like veins in your neck like as much as you can and I was like okay this is this has got a rank among some of the crazier things I've ever done in my life uh, which it still does I was going to say there can't be many more I mean yeah. Yeah. Like, just imagining you in a, in, a, in a, what those photo shoot rooms look yeah, like yeah sure sure like random people sure just, just kind of just pretend to be having all right 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 if you wouldn't mind doing that yeah and, just, again, and just keep doing stuff. it <laughs> keep going yeah, oh, yeah. but we did it in like 10 minutes were you all which is for that to be fair usually how long it does take right <laughs> um, the, the, we were talking before about some of your projects coming up uh, you mentioned you're playing a neo-nazi yeah um, can you tell me a bit about, about about that and where that's taking you yeah again it's based on a real guy who uh, he was part of a kind of a white supremacist cult in America and uh, he had a lot of facial tattoos and um, he basically uh, wants to get out and he's taken by the FBI and he makes a plea with them and he gives up um, a lot of the, uh, the, a lot of the members of this cult who'd done right. violent crimes and a lot of hate crimes and stuff and were kind of wanted by the FBI and and he reformed himself and he had to get all of these tattoos removed from his face which is kind of his own punishment in a way right. you know for, for the things that he'd done to people and the, the life that he'd led but he just had a, a complete 180 in his life and just and felt no this is wrong I need to get out of this um, and it's all true it's all based on a true story it's called Skin um, it's me and um, this girl called Danielle McDonald who's in this film called Patty Kicks it's awesome um, yeah, yeah. It's going to be good, Very I think. Cool. Yeah. Um, do you met the guy? Is he still alive? I haven't met him yet. Uh, he is still alive, but he lives in hiding uh, right. in an undisclosed location. So It's going to be difficult to get It's going to be difficult to find him. <laughs> he wasn't on set for his... No, 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 no. Rusty Furman style. Um, I, I, just kind of Billy Elliot-y. Um, I, Neo-Nazi. It's an obvious segue. It's an obvious segue. There's no segue there. <laughs> I was I was watching your BAFTA acceptance speech. It's funny. There. Sarah Cox said the same thing this morning. Did she? Yeah. Uh, we just randomly. I don't know. Why, I don't know why I said I that. Just, I just. No. I mean, I watched it, and, and and I've never seen anyone so composed in front of that audience. Just a little piss take of Russell Crowe. Yeah. Very gracious. Very confident I remember when I was 15 I was just right. hiding in my bedroom okay. basically I mean yeah. it's kind of disturbingly competent in a way it, it's kind well, of disarming it, it was disarming definitely right, right. I mean I know you've talked about that being a I mean it's got to be there's no way you can not that not be a strange difficult experience mm-hmm. in some ways right in your team I see it all the time now I mean you see these young kids who are incredibly like they're stars already and they're like handling media like yeah. it's like no big thing <laughs> um, but there's something inherent in a, a, a personality of a child who is, you know, creative or has that 
thing yeah. and I don't want to you know whatever it is that they're incre- clearly incredibly confident they already have like a self awareness that is like wildly beyond you know I think I was much more confident then than I am now for example <laughs> like I think I'm much more of a shy person now right I think I've kind of went a little bit more interior now as an adult than I maybe was back then um yeah, but it's it's strange, you know. It's not like someone sat me down and said, um, "Right, this is how you're gonna, this is how you do this, or this yeah. is how." Um, and honestly, by that point, I'd been talking to people and, and press and doing stuff for like basically half a year. Because as soon as you get on that circuit, that's all you do is yeah. you sit in chairs and talk to people. So, yeah. um, but it's still, it's surreal. It's still a surreal experience. And and, uh, and 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 even now, when I look back on it, that period is very hazy. It's like yeah. very blurry. It's almost. I mean, I remember making the film more distinctly than that stuff, you know. Um, Right. It's kind of an endless cycle of stuff. Yeah. No, I can imagine. I, I just wonder if it would be a bit like, you know, in the sort of Roadrunner cartoons where Wiley he runs off the cliff. <laughs> and he can, until he looks down, he, right, he, right. he's, he's still going. I just yeah, yeah, if, you yeah, have yeah. A, if you have a moment, you know, later in your teens or in, you, when you do look down, you're like, whoa. And I, I don't know if momentum carries you and, and you, you sort of catch yourself where you are or... Do you, do you just incrementally grow into the into the sort of? Um, no, I, th- I mean I think it's full of like all kinds of because there's so many there's so much stuff is happening to you at that time the, the, the your most informative years you know like your um, you know the school is happening and and all that kind of social consequence that's happening at the same time and you know uh, but I was kind of already just obsessed with working and wanted to do more work and you know. Um, so it was it was a kind of a minefield kind of time for me yeah. uh, but I I had the right people around me to kind of navigate it you know for me I mean I would like to take a lot of the credit for the decisions that were made on my behalf but I, I just yeah. can't they were made for me most right. of the time and and I was I was advised in certain ways and and I'm incredibly grateful for that I mean I still have the same manager and the same agent I did all those years ago you know it's been 17 years wow that's cool mm-hmm. and you have friends that would just call you up and tell you you were a twat yeah so still and still to this day yeah 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 perfect which I'm uh, grateful, grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Jamie Burr, it's been a real pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. Chatting. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was Jamie Bell. Um, uh, have any of us seen Six Days? No. No, no okay, great. So we won't talk about that as we get into the review section of the show. Uh, we will talk about Murder, 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 Murder on the Orient Express, which is Kenneth Branagh's big all-star adaptation uh, I believe is where you guys are going after this, aren't yes, you? Yes, I'm afraid so. Neither yeah. of us has seen it yet, so I think you're the only one who's seen it at this point, Chris. Sacre bleu! Mon Dieu! Arc de triomphe! Um, Hercule Poirot! Yeah. Yeah, so this is the adaptation of Agatha Christie's Whodunit, probably the most famous whodunit of all time. Yep. And maybe even, I would say, the most famous actual whodunit of all time, and that a lot of people know where the ending is. But I've also discovered, as, uh, as we're discussing this film openly in the office, that it doesn't extend to everybody there are, mm. there are people at the ending of this movie that the ending of this story have has pa- have passed by so um, mm. it's interesting I won't my, talk about the ending my plus one tonight does not know the ending really yeah. wow mine doesn't either actually yeah. oh, you're not each other's plus ones this is awkward no we're not no. awkward okay <laughs> um Okay, so uh, Hercule Poirot, the world's greatest detective, he's a Belgian with a giant moustache, and uh, he uh, goes for a little bit of R&R aboard the Orient Express, which is a, a train that goes from Leighton Orient. Uh, no. No? no, no, okay. And it, it wasn't really clear in the film where okay. it goes from. He finds himself aboard the Orient Express. Uh, with first class, a, obviously. First class. 
Uh, and weirdly, they seem to be the only passengers on this train completely. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And he finds himself on board with a whole bunch of lovely people, upper class people. There's Daisy Ridley. There's Johnny Depp. There's Josh Gad, he's gadding about. There's Derek Jacobi. There's Dame Judi Dench. There's Olivia Coleman. There's Leslie Odom Jr. from um, Hamilton. Hamilton. That's right. And you would remember the name of that. And uh, you'll never guess what happens. Somebody dies. Somebody is murderalized. <gasps> what? I'm not even going to say who gets murderalized, just in case. Uh, but let's just say someone does get killed and it's up to the great Hercule Poirot and his deductive skills which are kept in the folds of his tash uh, to try and figure <laughs> out who did it. And um, this is a an attempt to style up and to reinvent and to reinfigurate uh, a genre which is quite musty and detectives and Poirot and the idea of whodunits and procedurals has certainly been relegated to the small screen uh, in recent years. Uh, David Suchet, of course, for many people, is the Poirot, but Poirot's influence extends into Columbo, it extends into CSI, Criminal Minds, even something like Mindhunter, I think. You could probably look back and, and trace the path all the way to Hercule Poirot. On the big screen, we've had a number of, 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 uh, big, uh, of, of Hercule Poirots, this version, the Murder on the Express, was, of course, filmed, I think, most recently by Sidney Lumet with an all-star cast and mm-hmm. Albert Finney. Uh, and that was a much more straight-down-the-middle adaptation. This one's got a little bit glossier, a little bit glitzier, a little bit flasher. Uh, flasher? flasher? A little bit flashier <laughs> and a little bit sexier, a little bit more uh, modern. And uh, there's certainly some interesting scenes in this where Kenneth Branagh, you can feel him as a director almost fighting against the confines, uh, literally, of the train carriage in which they, they are shooting uh, sort of some lovely Brian De Palma-esque stylistic uh, quirks and conceits in this movie. And the cast are all very, very solid, very, very good. Uh, Brana is uh, on good form and good value as Hercule Poirot once you get past the Tash, which, if you see it on a big, big screen, is literally 30 feet wide. <laughs> can you get past, like physically, can you, you get past the Tash? There's like, scenes I feel in like... this where people are trying to get past him in the corridor and they have to <laughs> lift the Tash up, they have to duck under the Tash, they, you know, they have to get their... You know, there's there's border control in the tash. It's it's all very uh, interesting. Whether the film entirely works, I don't know. It still feels a little old fashioned to me. It still feels a little bit like it is constructed as a bit of a uh, an opportunity for for actors just to you know really give it a go in scenes where they all get to you know lots of actors like Willem Dafoe who I haven't even mentioned. They all get a chance to strut their funky stuff opposite the tash. You know, it works. It's fine. It's perfectly old-fashioned. Um, it, it's, a, again, a Sunday afternoon stroll of a movie, but it desperately wants to be a Saturday night rave-up of a movie. Um, sometimes those two sides don't really mesh that well. But otherwise, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, we gave it three stars, which, of course, as we say in the podcast, is uh, une recommendation. Okay, and then just very, very quickly, because we are literally being kicked out of this uh, booth, we have made a, a miscalculation uh, with the time. Uh, we have Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is a new film from Yorgos Lanthim- Lanth- Lanthimos, with Lanthimos. Uh, Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman, both on incredible form. As you'd expect from the director of The Lobster, it is weird, but brilliant. Uh, and we gave it five stars. Five stars for that. So sorry we couldn't get into it more. It's about Mom's Christmas as well. And Thelma, which is a very, very interesting Norwegian uh, uh, supernatural drama with, with uh, overtones of Brand de Palma's Carry. Very, very good indeed. And uh, we gave that 
Four stars, I think. I gave that four stars myself, so I should know what we gave it. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, do join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Ben Wishaw. Ben Wishaw mm. is going to be on the podcast, which is a lot of fun. And uh, there's going to be another guest as well, whose name I literally cannot remember. But it's... Oh, no, I know who it is. It's Ken Lonergan. Ken Lonergan. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from John. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Enjoy Murder on Your Express, everybody. Bye!